Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. All right, we are looking at Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. So join with me as we look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. Allow me to read this passage. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, the dragon and his angels waging war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So we begin with an angelic war in heaven. Uh, how, how do angels fight? Anybody have any guess? Do you think they have swords or pistols or cannons or tanks or missiles or anything? This is not a flesh and blood war. This is a war between powers and principalities, and uh, it's hard for us to even understand how this war even took place. But it did. Uh, We have a record of it here, or it will take place, however you want to look at it. Uh, Again, the Bible talks future tense, as if it has already happened. And so we look and we see that again in this passage. So we know that Satan is that red dragon. Uh, He's already fallen from heaven. And so we sometimes struggle to understand why would God allow him back. But we do know that for whatever reason, God continues to allow Satan to come before him, accusing uh, God of his saints. The earliest recording uh, recorded incidents was when Satan Petition God concerning Job. Job is actually the oldest chronological passage in our Bibles. Uh, it's the earliest thing that um, uh, historians can figure, you know, as far as the writings. So, do you remember the story of Job? Satan comes before God and says, Consider servant Job. And he says, The only reason why he worships you and praises you is because you blessed him so much. You've given him multiple livestock. You've given him an abundance of family. And you've given him good help. Who wouldn't praise you with all these things? And so Satan said, if I took away any of these, his livestock, he would curse you. Or if his family were taken away, he would curse you. Or if his own health was taken away, he would curse you. And so God gave Satan permission. In other words, Satan could not do these things without God's permission. And so, if you remember the story, uh, 
servants came to Job and said, Master, your livestock has been raided. It's been taken away. And your children were together having uh, a party. And the roof caved in on them and they are all dead. And if you remember, Job says, I came in this world with nothing and I will leave with nothing. Blessed be the Lord. And so Satan just couldn't understand that all these blessings from God were taken away and he would still praise God. Then his health you know, was taken away from him. He had boils and sores all over his body, but he remained faithful to the Lord. And so this actually does happen. I believe that Satan has still continued to go before the Lord and challenge God's blessings upon his creation, his people, those who claim him as, as their God. And he wants to tempt us. He wants to test us to see if our faith is genuine. Another thing I believe that Satan does is he goes before God and says, this person is no better than I am. They sin against you. Look at all these sinful things that they do, but yet they, they claim you as, as Savior and Lord. Um, they deserve the same eternal punishment that, that you condemn me with. But God basically looks and says, their sins have been forgiven. They've been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And so we can only imagine what it's like, Satan, an angel, going to God who is a spirit and having these types of arguments or petitions. But what we do understand is that Satan has allowed, God has allowed Satan to return into heaven, to return into his presence, to make these positions and accusations. So what we're seeing now is that Satan will be cast out for a final time, he and all of his angels, and they will not be allowed back. So the first time when Satan uh, was cast out is when he had rebelled against God and he took a third of the angels with him. Obviously, those that third uh, represented those who had agreed with him that, that God was an overbearing person or being or uh, spirit and that they wanted to take away his authority and gain that authority for their own. So we look and we see that he has obviously been able to deceive uh, mankind into believing that uh, God is not a good God and that Satan has your best interests. So this passage actually speaks of another expelling of Satan from heaven. Uh, this time it's depicted as a war in heaven between Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels. So we have this war in heaven. The angel Michael is seen in several different places in Scripture. I'm just going to refer to them and read the passages. If you want to jot them down to look them up later, you're welcome to do so. One place is in Jude. Uh, we, uh, Jude is one of those uh, one, one chapter books, uh, but verse 9 says, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, Satan, and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, Jude, you know, we're not real sure why this is brought up, but basically it does reintroduce Michael as being an archangel or a powerful angel, a mighty angel. And the picture is that when, when Moses died, if you remember back in Exodus, at the end of Exodus, before everything was turned over to Joshua, when Moses died, God took Moses' body and hid it. He buried him in a secret place. And so the picture is that Satan 
wanted the body of Moses. Well, first of all, we have to ask, why did God secretly hide Moses? Well, he had been the leader of God's chosen people for 40 years. And the picture is that the Israelites would probably have, have revered his graveside, his tomb, and he personally, uh, basically making him an idol and competing with their faith in God. And so if Satan wants his body, then the picture probably is that he wanted Moses' body to be displayed or his tomb to be displayed so that it could be a distraction from God, that they would actually use it as a uh, method of idolatry. And so that's the picture that we find in Jude. Now, Daniel has several different passages that speak of Daniel, I mean, of Michael. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Then he said to me, this is an angel who appears before Daniel. This is not uh, Michael, but another angel who comes to comfort Daniel after he's had a terrifying vision. He says, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief pre, uh, princes, uh, came to help me, for I had been left there with the king of kings of Persia. Now, again, we're looking at spiritual warfare. This angel came to comfort Daniel, but he was not a an archangel. He was not a strong angel, and we don't know how the angels are tiered or or how they have this level of commandment or, or a level of strength. But this angel was coming to comfort Daniel in his time of trouble. But he was held back for 21 days fighting against the prince of Persia. Now, who is the prince? Well, if you look, it says, Michael, one of the chief princes. Well, that word prince means angel. One of the chief angels. Michael is a chief angel. So he... This other angel was fighting an angel who was basically feeding the evil of Persia. So we look and we see that he came to help. Well, later on in that chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you, uh, what is inscribed in the writing of truth. <coughs> Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So here again is kind of the end of the story. Uh, this angel has come to comfort uh, uh, Daniel. He is now returning. He knows he will be fighting against this angel of Persia. And he says, and once that angel is done with, then there will be an angel of Greece. Well, if you look at uh, the seven horns, I mean, the, <laughs> excuse me, the, the seven heads of this beast that we just look, uh, looked at, you see that there have been seven, there will be seven powers that stand against Israel. First was Egypt. Then you have Assyria that captured the northern kingdom. Then you have Babylon who captured the southern kingdom. 
And then after Babylon, you have the Medo-Persian kingdom, which is depicted here. That is when Daniel was in Babylon and the Persians defeated the Babylonians and they basically inherited the captives that were there. And so now the Persians are over Daniel and the Israelites. But after the Persians, guess who takes control of and becomes the enemy of God's people? The Greeks. And guess who comes after them? Rome. And then we find that final power, and that will be the Antichrist. And so in Daniel, we have this glimpse that the, the, the prince of Persia is the angel assigned to Persia. Is it Satan himself? We don't know. We're just given the, the term uh, prince, meaning angel, that this angel of Persia was mighty and that this angel could not defeat him. And it took the great angel, uh, the, the strong angel, Michael, to defeat him so that this angel could come. But he also knows that as he returns, none will fight with him except for Michael. So we see Michael as being a chief angel, a strong angel, a powerful angel, a archangel, whatever term you want to use. Then later in Daniel, in chapter 12, verse 1, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people everywhere who is found written in the book will be rescued. So here, Michael is depicted as uh, standing guard over the Israelites again. And it depicts a time that is yet to come during Daniel's time, but it will be such a time of distress that has never occurred before, but that your people who are written in the book will be rescued. Now that rescue is either referring to those who believe that Jesus is the Lord, their Lord, and they will be taken in the rapture, but more than likely it will be those who at the end have come to faith in Christ and they will be rescued during the tribulation. So we know that, that, day, that there are some that will be rescued during the tribulation. And so... Here, Michael is depicting a battle of evil forces against the kings of Persia, then Greece. And so we look and we see uh, these evil forces. Um, they're ultimately under Satan's control. Whether they're a, a lesser angel than Satan, uh, either way, they are under Satan's control. And, but Michael does have the power to overcome them. So now we see this battle or this war in heaven. Michael and his angels stand against Satan and his angels. So again, this is not a flesh and blood war. This is a war against powers and principalities. But regardless how they fight, thank goodness we see that, verse 8, that the dragon and his angels wage war and they were not strong enough. So they lost. In other words, God's angels, uh, with Michael being kind of the captain of the guard, and his angels overcame Satan and his angels. Something you need to understand right there. Satan does not have nearly as much power as we give him credit for. He is very powerful from a human perspective, but in a heavenly perspective, he is not. Because it is not God, it is not Jesus who overcomes him in this battle in heaven. It is another angel. They are both angels. So Michael, an angel, defeats Satan, another angel. So 
y'all understand that you know we give we 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 almost equate Satan with God if we're not real careful. We know that God's more powerful, but we kind of put Satan as being more powerful than anybody but God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so now we see that even Michael has more power than Satan. He can defeat him in a spiritual war. And so we look, and then it says, and that there was found a place no longer was found for them in heaven, Satan and his angels. So in other words, He's been cast out. He and his angels have been cast out for the final time. They were cast to earth, but they still had access to heaven. Now, this final battle says they are no longer welcome. So in verse 9, we see the results. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So the result of the battle was Satan and his demons, uh, demonic angels, were cast out and cast down to the earth. But if you don't know who this is, John's real clear. He gives three different names for him. He calls him the serpent of old. Go all the way back to Genesis when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the knowledge, tree of knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. And when he was cast down, God called him a serpent. And so that serpent of old is the same person. Then he calls him the devil. The word devil means slanderer, defamer, false accuser. And that's what Satan has been doing. He's been slandering us before the throne of God, saying they don't deserve your, your heaven. They're just like me. They are sinful. They, they have disobeyed you. They do not... They're not worthy. They have not earned, you know, a, a path to heaven. And so he's accused man, uh, a God, and basically says, you know, they deserve the same fate that I do. And then he calls him by name, capital S. That's his formal name, Satan. Well, the name Satan simply means adversary, and it depicts the constant enemy that has been against God and God's people from the beginning of time. All the way back from Adam and Eve through Job and today, Satan has been the adversary. He's been the enemy of God and all of God's people. And so he actually adds one more description. The deceiver of the whole world. Satan was cast down to the earth. He is the ruler of this earth. God has allowed him to have that reign. And now he deceives, misleads, leads astray as many as he possibly can. So Unfortunately, he has succeeded in a lot of ways. There, there are many billions of people on the face of this earth that have never accepted the gift of salvation, eternal life, found only through Jesus. So numerically wise, you would say he is victorious. He has won. But that's not the way God looks at it. Without the church, when we look at uh, he, he and his uh, other angels being cast down to the earth, without the church during the tribulation, his deceptive powers will seem formidable. But we have already seen when we saw the, uh, the multitudes of saints under the altar and the angel came to John and said, Who are these? And John said, Only you know. And he said, These are the saints who died during the Great Tribulation. Again, future tense. You know, moving to the Great Tribulation. So we know that there are souls that are saved during the Tribulation. And how does that happen? 
Well, we have God's 144,000 who were sealed, which is basically a verse or two prior to that, where God seals the 144,000, uh, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And we also see uh, we've already dealt with the two witnesses. And so there will be a witness, there will be a testimony on the earth during the tribulation for people to have the opportunity to come to salvation. And so then we get down to verse 10. And then I heard a loud voice saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Son of His Christ have come. So we look and we see there's praising in heaven. They are praising that uh, salvation has come, that the power of God has come, the kingdom of God has come, and the authority of Christ has come. In other words, this is that marking that the end is in progress, that Jesus is about to come and claim His rightful reign over His people. Salvation, His power, His kingdom, and His authority, all these things are now in the in, they have begun. Now we, we know that, again, we talk about the future as if it has already happened. That's basically what is happening here, that He is already claiming the victory through His salvation and power and kingdom and authority of Christ as if it has already taken place. Well, the thing is, it has already taken place. All that was needed for these things to happen have already taken place. Jesus has already died on the cross. He has risen from the grave. He has ascended to the Father. He has given His Holy Spirit. Everything is in place. It is already the, the, the victory has already been won. It's just that the finality of that victory is yet to come. And so it ends and says, and, uh, For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accused them before God day and night. Right now, Satan has God's ear. He can and he does accuse God of favoring us, of blessing us beyond what we deserve. And so is Satan's desire to take away the blessings of God to see how we react. So does that still happen? Does it happen like it happened with Job? I believe many times it does. I believe that there are times where we, as God's people, will go through enormous trials. I think it's Satan's way to say, if they blaspheme you, God, because of what, you're, because of what they're going through, because your blessing has been taken off of them, even temporarily, then I've proven my point. That the only reason why they worship you, the only reason why they go to church, the only reason why they sing praises, is because you bless them and given them good health or protection or whatever. So I believe that what Satan did against Job happens against us as well. So if you're ever going through a time of great trial, put yourself in Job's shoes and say, I brought nothing into this world. I will take nothing out. Blessed be the Lord. And keep your faith there. Well, then we get to verse 11. This is not the physical, I mean, the, you know, if you look at all the verses, uh, the physical middle of the book of Revelation, but it's the central climax verse of, uh, of Revelation. So let me read verse 11. Let's spend a little bit of time on it. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. 
So we look here and we ask the question, how have God's saints overcome Satan? Again, we, we tend to give Satan too much power and authority and control over our lives, but we have the power to be overcomers, to overcome Satan and his forces. So how do we do that? Well, he gives us really three things. First, because of the blood of the Lamb, salvation places its faith in the shed blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God who died and shed his blood on the cross for us. He, he took the sins and the penalty and guilt of our sins upon himself, and he died in our place, and he shed his blood as a perfect, endless, sacrificial Lamb of God. So he came and won the battle that day. He died for us, uh, not in the bloodshed of the battle in heaven, but by shedding his own blood on the cross. And then this foundation as an overcomer cannot be shaken. Nobody can go back and erase what Jesus did. Nobody can go back and, and make it less than what it truly is. And so this is the central rock that our salvation uh, is founded on. Then we see the second thing that uh, enables us to be overcomers over Satan. Because of the word of their testimony. Their testimony. Our testimony. Our testimony is that Jesus died for us. That he rose victorious to give us salvation and eternal life. That is our testimony. That is the, what we have placed our faith in. We believe that Jesus uh, ascended back into heaven to be our intercessor, that He hears our prayers, that He responds. He is the one who watches over us. He has given us His Holy Spirit to live in us and dwell in us and guide us and protect us and use us for His honor and glory. That is our testimony. When we share our testimony, when we live out our testimony, which is the gospel, then Satan has absolutely nothing to defend himself with. He knows that... Uh, that this testimony is true. He knows that if it is in us and we believe it and it's our foundation for our faith, then he has been overcome through our testimony. So it's simply the testimony of the gospel that lives in us. Well, there's a third thing that we have that overcomes uh, Satan's trial, uh, attacks against us, because they were willing to die for their faith. Getting in deep waters here. In the first century Christianity, you, you don't think that there's that many people throughout the Roman Empire that are that could possibly become Christians in less than a hundred years. But millions of Christians during the first century were killed because of their faith. They died a martyr's death, and I mean these were gruesome deaths. They weren't just some of them were beheaded. That was probably the quickest and. <laughs> Least painful way to die. Some of them were sewn into sacks and throw out, thrown out into the ocean. They couldn't swim. They gradually drowned. They were put in animal uh, clothing and thrown out into the arenas for uh, the savage dogs and lions to devour. They were thrown out into the arena as men with no weapons so that the gladiators could make sport with them before they killed them. I've shared with y'all the worst, I think, is when Nero would... Uh, impaled them on stakes and put them up in his garden, still alive, covered with pitch, and he would light them for his tiki torches, for his garden parties. Now, folks, how many of y'all would be willing, knowingly, to die like that 
for your faith. You're the cream of the... It is. It's still happening. Yes. Yeah. But just, just think, you're the cream of the crop. You're here on a Wednesday. How many people can't even find it in them to show up on a Sunday morning for worship? Much less be willing to die for the faith. And so basically what John is saying is that they, their faith was so strong that they were willing to die for their faith. And I've shared with you, I, I read, you know, it's called Standing Strong Through the Storm. It's about the persecuted church. And it is unbelievable, the torture, the pain, the discomfort, the, the agony of those who are not killed go through for their faith. And then some of the gruesome deaths that some of them go through as a part of their testimony. So martyr's death is the only way that you can look at it. So we look and we see that that right there is the climax. That is how Satan is truly overcome from us as human beings, as Christians. And then we see uh, two extremes. Verse 12 says, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So because Satan and his angels have been expelled from heaven for the last time, they have no access to heaven, heaven itself is rejoicing. We're rid of them. We don't have to put up with them anymore. There is no more Satan nor his demonic forces ever going to be setting foot in heaven again. So they are rejoicing in heaven. But woe to the earth and the sea. Why? Because that is now Satan's only place to reign. And he is angry. He no longer can accuse us. He can no longer attack us. He can no longer get God to withdraw his blessings to see if we would curse God and die. Woe to the earth. Great is the wrath of Satan. Here's for the reason. He only has a short time. That puts us basically at what we call that midpoint of the tribulation. We are already seeing glimpses of the end. We're seeing glimpses of what is going to take place as if it has already taken place. But Satan knows his time is at an end. And so now that he is only, he is bound by, uh, out of heaven now on earth, he is going to do all that he can to make sure that no others will ever come to salvation. Those who are already children of God, those who are on the earth at that time, more than likely they're going to die this martyr's death. But all the rest, he will do all that he possibly can to keep them from coming to faith. And so he will persecute uh, you know, any who even think about it. He will make it uh, a known fact that if they do, uh, come to faith in Christ, that they will die a gruesome death. And so he will do all that he can to keep them from the presence of God and from salvation. So we look at this brief passage of Scripture. We see that Satan has limited power. Even uh, the angel Michael is able to defeat him. Michael and his angels were able to defeat Satan and his angels. Uh, they are cast out of heaven for the final time. They no longer have access to God. They no longer have the ability to, to accuse God of pampering us. Uh, 
So his only resource now is to work on the earth. This is during the tribulation, not now. Uh, but there again, the, the voice speaks uh, future tense as if it was past tense. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ has come. And so we see that as a guarantee that the end is victorious. And in that climactic focal passage, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. Heaven's rejoicing because Satan is no longer uh, allowed there, but woe to the earth because it will be having to put up with him full time. And he is angry. His wrath is great. And he will do all that he can to keep anyone from coming to salvation. You say, well, doesn't he do that anyway? Well, sure, but he's now confined to one place. We struggle with this understanding. God the Father is the only true, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent, all-present being. Jesus now is, but he wasn't while he was on the earth because Jesus could not be in two places at one time. The Holy Spirit is because he can be in all of us, any part of the world at any time. Satan is not all-powerful. Even the angel Michael defeated him, cast him out of heaven. He is not all-knowing. He does not know every thought that we have. And he definitely is not omnipresent. He is not all-present. He cannot be on earth and in heaven at the same time. So let's quit giving Satan more power than he deserves. Now, he does have many, many angels. A third of those out of heaven were cast down, and they are doing his bidding here on earth while he was in heaven or is in heaven. And so we have to understand that there is a great spiritual war still going on, and we are to be overcomers. And we overcome the same way as we see in verse 11, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of our testimony, and because we should be willing to face death even as a result of our faith. Again, much of what we hear here uh, in this passage is future tense written as if it has already taken place. So it is something yet to come. Even when the tribulation begins, it will be still yet to come because it will be the end of the tribulation that these things take place. All right, let's close with prayer then. Dear Lord, open our hearts and help us to realize that there is truly a spiritual battle going on at all times. And Lord, that battle is over us. Satan wants to do all that he can to keep us from being found faithful to you. Lord, if he can tempt us by allowing a a trial or tribulation or weakness or death of a loved one or sickness or whatever it may be where we might be weakened in our faith, then He's going to do that. Lord, we can be overcomers no matter what the situation is that we find ourselves in. Lord, whether it's illness, loss of a loved one, a major trial or tribulation, whatever it may be, help us to keep our faith strong in You, that we belong to You. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our Rock, you are our fortress, you are our deliverer, you are our all. So Lord, help us to realize, just like Job, for we brought nothing into this world, we will take nothing with us, but praise be the Lord. 
Lord, guide us as we continue to study your word. Lord, help us to live out the truths that we know so that we too may be overcomers through our faith in you, the blood shed uh, from your son Jesus uh, by in a powerful testimony with our faith in the world around us. And Lord, even by willing to face whatever consequence our faith may bring, even death. Thank you, Lord, for your presence and your power living in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.